Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians, and we love to read and talk about books. And today we're doing a repeat topic. <laughs> we didn't realize it was going to be a repeat, such a close repeat topic, but we're talking about memoirs today. And we thought, I think we thought we hadn't done it at all or if we had it, yeah. it was years ago but actually it was only about a year ago that we did it so yeah it was and we have a, a spreadsheet where we keep all this information and somehow neither of us thought to check the spreadsheet no. No. we just well, yeah. said oh yeah i don't know how we haven't done memoirs that's crazy because i don't know we couldn't we couldn't remember that far back well and part of it too is at this point we're nearing 100 episodes and i i tend to forget i i will Usually recall if I've talked about a book, although even that sometimes is kind of fuzzy, but usually I'll have a good sense of if I've talked about it, but I don't always remember if I've talked about it because it was a topic that we were covering or right. if it was what I was reading that week or if it was a book preview for the season. So it's Or if hard. it just fit into something else because right. we try to, to mix stuff up. Right. So. so yeah. So this was a case where I was like, huh, we haven't talked about memoirs. That's weird. But at the same time, I could see that because I'm, I've certainly talked about them, but it was probably what I was reading that week or yeah. some other topic. So yeah. yeah, so we're doing it again. Yeah, it, uh, it made it made us laugh a lot. It did make us laugh a lot. <laughs> so I love memoirs. I'm probably going to repeat what I said last time, but I exclusively, almost exclusively listen to memoirs as audiobooks. Right. I don't often read a memoir. I find often the memoir is read by the person that it's about, uh, especially if it's a celebrity memoir, which adds to the feeling of somebody telling you their story versus reading it in a book where it's your own voice kind of in your head. So right. I absolutely love memoirs on audiobook. It's my preferred way. And it's actually one of my preferred types of audiobooks to listen to. I tend to... Uh, Look, seek those out, especially if I hear about a good memoir. I think, oh, I'll just listen to that as soon as possible. Yeah, and sometimes, especially celebrity memoirs, they just go down so easy. Yep. So it's yeah. it's really um, like a good comfort read or, right. or a good a good easy like easy hit kind right. of right. kind of thing. Right, and it's very similar. So I listen to a lot of podcasts as well as you do, and listening to a memoir feels a lot like listening to a podcast sometimes, right. depending on. Um, how heavy the topic is, of course, but often it's that same sort of sense of getting to know somebody through listening to them talk. So right. that's, I think, part of why I like it, because sometimes I find myself more in the mood to listen to podcasts and I have a hard time. I have a hard time switching to an audiobook because what will happen is I get behind on my podcast. So then I just listen to many episodes in a row to catch up and then right, I have same. a hard time switching back to then to an audiobook, but a memoir tends to be an easy switch for me. I think, oh, that'll be a good thing to listen to and I'll yeah. enjoy that. So I do yeah. switch. Um, and I on this on this one, I, I did I agree with you. I love to listen to memoirs, um, typically. But this this time around I I went with a theme. Oh okay. Um, because I partly just because those were the things I started writing down and then I thought, well, how can I switch this up from when I talked about <laughs> memoirs a year ago? And so I did books, they're all memoirs, but they're also kind of half informative oh, okay. um, books too. And so those I would not want to, like when I start talking about my books, you'll you'll understand why those would not be good mm -hmm. audiobooks or or maybe they're they're perfectly fine audiobooks, but not for my brain of how right. I need things to be. So um, actually one of them is is an audiobook I did and it was great, but it's the less it's informative but in a different way than the other two are but 
yeah, there's, I love, I love that memoirs have such a range where you can, you can say, this is what I like about it. And therefore I will do this format, or I can just hear someone's life story and that's perfectly fine. Or you can have one where they're kind of explaining their business at the same time as telling their life story. Mm -hmm. And and you sort of get that hybrid in there. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's lots of good, um, good options for people if that's, if they are interested in, in one version, but they're not so crazy about the other. There's still plenty of Mm-hmm. of types of memoirs out there for you. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, in fact, one of the ones I have is sort of a hybrid of uh, an essay collection and a memoir, which I like that a lot too. Yeah. All right, well, uh, why don't we just go ahead and get started? I will apologize in advance. I was just telling Anne before we started recording, I just picked up a new foster dog this morning from an emergency surgery she had to have, and she's laying next to me in a crate, but she does keep whimpering. I think she's a little bit uncomfortable. So I will apologize because yeah. my guess is that's going to be in the background while I'm talking. She's a teeny tiny dog. So her whimpers are very yeah. teeny tiny, but still, I think you might be able to hear that. So I'm just going to let yeah. everybody know ahead of time that that's probably what you're hearing if you hear some little noises in the background. Yeah. But she's doing oh, well. Oh, poor so. thing. I know. She's doing and better I... than she was yesterday at this time. So that's good. Oh, that's very true. <laughs> that's very, very true. Um, and I should also say my voice is very rough because my dog has been freaking out about our thunderstorms since yeah. 5 a.m. So um, apologies in advance for any any, any audio issues. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the natural audio issues that come from my voice. And from recording in a non-professional uh, location, right. which is what we do. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you do your first one, Anne? Okay, so my first book I'm actually reading right now, it's The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty. And I wanted to include it because I think it's it's really important, um, even though I'm not technically finished with it. Um, this is a book I'm reading with a friend and just kind of reading a couple of pages a day very slowly. So um, I also hesitated to include it because it isn't it isn't as memoiry as I expected it to be going into it, but it's also more memoiry than a straight informational book. And it, it's a very deeply personal book to him. And so um, it doesn't really fit into a category, but, but, and, and when you look at any reviews, it, they note that where it's, it's part memoir, part um, history. And mm-hmm. so, um, but, but it's too, there, it's obviously so personal to his life that, that it feels really still applicable to this mm-hmm. topic. So, um, f- so from the subtitle, I think it sounds very much like a straight history of Africa, of Southern African American culinary history. Um, but because it's, it's actually very personal, the main title is very district descriptive of what the book actually contains. And I sort of glossed over the main title, uh, when I, picked it up and just went for the subtitle and then I was like this isn't what this is but the the I'll, I'll get into more of what he's trying to do with this book so Michael Twitty is a culinary historical reenactor and blogger and he studies and demonstrates the role that African-American cooking played in the history of the United States through um, a blog that he runs called Afro Culinaria mm-hmm. and he also hosts cooking demonstrations often at, at plantations so the book covers the African and African-American foodways um, that have um, crisscrossed across um, continents and and our country and the influence that they have on American cooking as a whole. But he uses that information to actually trace his own family history. Mm -hmm. And he has this this kind of thesis um, of the book that he believes that food is the best way to connect to the past. And so prior to writing the book, he embarked on uh, what he called the Southern 
the Southern Discomfort Tour, mm -hmm. and he reenacted experiences that his enslaved ancestors would have had. So he learns how to pick cotton and um, puts on uh, earbuds of old um, Negro spirituals of this to really get into that that feeling as much as he he possibly can while wearing the correct clothes and um, just just tries to make it as, as accurate as possible. And so he learns how to harvest food and he is an expert in cooking in plantation kitchens only using the the historically correct techniques and ingredients. And um, and so he really tries to immerse himself in that world. And he's also through that interested in looking at the controversy surrounding African-American food throughout the, the centuries it's existed um, because black slaves and their descendants were always stewards of agriculture and culinary knowledge, um, even to the point where certain um, groups in Africa were, were specifically targeted because of their, their knowledge of, of rice growing and, and things like that. Um, but now they're being written out of history as Southern food is being celebrated as fine dining. And so that, that, tension is really interesting to to his perspective on it is interesting and just the study of it is something i i always can't get enough of um it, it just is endlessly uh infuriating and interesting so um so the as i said the title is is really the key to this book because a huge focus of it is his interest in dna and he talks about how black americans haven't been able to trace their lineage because that information was obviously not recorded and also how do you record information for people who were stolen? Mm -hmm. And so DNA testing as a common thing has opened up a ton of doors that were closed, but there are still a lot of issues that, um, because databases are not as robust as those for uh, people of European descent. Mm -hmm. So, um, so he, he goes into how he learns that, or he has always known that his, his answer, his ancestry was partly white and um, sort of his experiences in, in seeking out his people in North Carolina who are also descended from the same Civil War officer who fathered black children along with his white family. And um, and he just has a very difficult and, and kind of convoluted family history where, where he, had, he had ancestors who could pass and some even denied being black because they were descended from this, this one man. And so that's very mentally difficult for him to come to terms with all these things that he knows about his family history. So, um, so he's just a really fascinating person. He, he's I also, this isn't what I'm focusing on, but it's all, it's part of his focus is, um, that he's also a gay, a gay black man in the South. And in his twenties, he chose to convert to Judaism. And so he just has all of these different communities that he belongs to, that he's trying to, um, to wrap up into one person. And he's very smart and very, just just has so many interesting ways of looking at things that I wouldn't think of myself and which is the reason you read memoirs to mm -hmm. to get a different perspective so I will say that to not go in thinking it's an easy read because mm -hmm. the subject matter of of slavery and um all the tragedies that go along with that are, are difficult but it's also presented in sort of this this odd hybrid that I, I don't think I've ever read before but it's very worthwhile and very enriching and um and if you're like me you just any food history is is a friend of yours so um that is the cooking gene by michael w twitty it's so funny because two of my co-workers just offered up a copy of, or copies of that book because they ordered his spice set and when they received it they got a copy of the book but they both already owned the book so oh, really? they offered it up on uh sort of our we have a so we use teams a lot especially while we're all working from our 
houses and yeah, yeah. Other places. And so we have a channel on Teams all about food <laughs> because we, <laughs> they, we have a lot of people that like to cook and talk about food. Anyway, so they yeah. offered it up right on that channel. And I said, I will take one. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting it and taking a look. Yeah. At it. You'll have to let me know what you think. Yeah. That's funny because we have a true crime subcommittee oh. um, Teams thing on, on our, we don't have a food one though. We, we probably have should a, have a pet one too. Oh, uh, we should have a pet one too. We love seeing people's pets. We have a food one. We have a BTS. Do you know who BTS is? They're of course band. I know yeah, who yeah. BTS is. <laughs> they, Am I uh, breathing? <laughs> I know, right? So there's a BTS one. There's a crafting one. I don't know. It's kind of fun. It sort, yeah. of, it sort of gets back at that when we're in person and you can have more casual conversations at work about things like that. And so it's trying to, to recapture yeah. that. So it's fun. But yeah, I like the food one. I, I participate in that one quite a bit. That's fun. All right, so my first one is Open Book by Jessica Simpson. And yes. <laughs> I, so excited for this. So, so it's so funny to me that this turned out to be such a good memoir because <laughs> I mostly know who Jessica Simpson is from Newlyweds, that reality show that she had with her then-husband, Nick Lachey. But she was a pop singer who I was aware of when the big pop explosion happened in the early 2000s, of course, and then... She did that show and was well known for being kind of that ditzy blonde. I don't know. That was her persona. Right. Uh, and then that was kind of it with her. I mean, I've heard about her here and there, but nothing. I don't I don't know. I guess I didn't realize what she had done after that. So when she came out with a memoir, I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> OK, you know, a 30 something year old comes out with a memoir. That's maybe not. I don't know that, how much how much information does she have to share that I would personally find interesting but then I kept right. hearing people people I followed on Instagram were talking about it and I was intrigued enough to think well I'll listen to the audiobook I've talked about this before I tend to think of audiobooks as uh, I have a lower bar for audiobooks as far as right. entertainment because if it's moderately entertaining I'm totally satisfied with that because it's not like I would be reading in place of that it's when I'm doing other things so it's just kind of in the background Anyway, so I started listening to the audiobook thinking, well, I can always stop if I don't like it or, you know, if it's not great, it's not great. That's fine. But I was so surprised <laughs> at how good <laughs> this was. So first of all, Jessica Simpson is an extremely successful woman. She has, I think it's a, both a clothing and a shoe line now, I think. Definitely clothes, I think, or shoes. Now I can't remember. Definitely shoes because I bought a pair and they okay. tore my feet up so oh, no, really? that I had to get. They had the, like, the there was a pair of flats and it was, uh, they were kind of plasticky mm -hmm. plus leather because, uh, or like kind of vinyl-y. Yes. Um, they were very cute. Um, but the seam went right down the back of the heel, which is the death knell for for flats because right. they just cut your feet up. So I had to get rid of them. Well, that's sad because apparently... Yeah. Her shoes and clothes are very, very popular. And she is a very, I, I, I want to say it's like a billion dollar business or something. Wow. Certainly, uh, maybe not a billion, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's just a million, multi-million dollar business. But it's, she has not, she has parlayed her early success into um, really becoming a successful businesswoman. So that, that was surprising enough for me. But anyway, the reason... I thought this was so great is because she doesn't really seem to hold anything back when she is sharing information about her life. So she talks all about the kind of the behind the scenes stuff from when she was in the public eye as a pop singer and then on her reality show. She talks quite a bit about 
specific people in her life because, of course, her first marriage was very public. They had, they were on television. She talks about how that reality show affected their marriage, what sort of uh, impact it had, the fact that they ended up getting divorced in some part came from the fact that they did that show. Uh, but a lot of it was just they were, she was very, very young when they got married. And sounds like he, she, it, it sounds like she doesn't regret that marriage at all. Like she doesn't regret that relationship, but it doesn't seem when she reflects on it now, she thinks, well, maybe they shouldn't have gotten married. Maybe it was more of yeah. a just kind of first love kind of thing. Anyway, but so she, I feel like other celebrity memoirs I have read in the past, even though they're, entertaining good but they they can be a little bit vague it's clear that they don't yes. want to badmouth people or it's their, the worst their experiences that they might not want to shed negative light on so they'll just sort of talk around it and things like that and from from my experience with this book is that Jessica Simpson has no qualms about calling people out um she's been through a lot actually she talks about uh some sexual abuse she experienced as a child and then uh, she talks about her relationship with John Mayer, which was pretty um, emotionally abusive. And she was addicted to uh, alcohol for sure. I think also Ambien she was addicted to. So she talks about that. She talks about her recovery. She talks about uh, struggles with her body image and the way the way people sexualized her at a very young age because she was in the public eye affected it. And then when people then would post about outfits that she would wear and how much weight she had gained. There was a big thing because she was Daisy Duke in an updated right. version of Dukes of Hazard, So she was right. in really, really good shape for that. She was wearing these little outfits. And um, and then the next time people saw her, she was at a concert and she was wearing mom jeans, basically, that just accentuated her curves a little bit more. And there were just all these headlines written right. about how bad she looked, basically, how much weight she had gained. And in actuality, I don't think she had. She's a very petite person from what I can tell. And and even if she had gained weight, who's who whose right. business is that? Like who who cares? Right. And like if she's healthy, she's fine. So anyway, so I don't know. It was just really, really candid. I mean, all you're very aware, I would say, that this is her perspective on things. My guess is if you ask asked Nick Lachey or John Mayer or their perspective, it would be different. So it's clear that it's her interpretation of things that have happened during her life, but it's definitely a very open book. Like it, the title, it's very she's very mm -hmm. open about what her experiences have been, um, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like she's holding back when she when she talks about different things. So I thought it was really great. It was a it was a fantastic book to listen to. She reads it herself. Uh, so again, that that element of feeling like somebody is telling you their own story at a couple of times, she gets a little bit emotional. And especially when she's talking about her addiction and her recovery, that feels very authentic. And I don't know, I just thought it was really great. It was, it was such a pleasant surprise. Um, I love those kind of books where you go into it, not thinking that it's going to be something fantastic, you know, and then you right. end up, I ended up, I remember folding laundry one day thinking I'm going to fold laundry just so I can listen to the audiobook because <laughs> I was pretty close to the end. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll do that for 30 minutes and be able to listen to it. So uh, I just love books that that hit like that in the moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's Open Book by Jessica Simpson. I need to, I, I had the same experience where I thought, okay, that, like sure. celebrity memoir, <laughs> that's, that's fine. 
Um, and, and exactly the same where so many of them are just so vague that what's the point? Right. It's, it's almost just a, mon- a money grabbing right. scheme because they don't tell anything. It's just, and, and they're so designed to make themselves look good. And so when I saw people of every walk of life mm-hmm. posting about this book, I thought this is something special. So, um, so I'll get to it at some point. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I had one experience like that where I kind of liked a celebrity and, listen to their audiobook it was I think it was kind of on the short side and I thought well this will be great I'll just knock knock this out while I'm doing other things and it actually made me like the celebrity less after I listened to it and I thought oh I kind of wish I hadn't she's an actress and I always liked her and whatever I saw her in and didn't really think much beyond that but just liked her and now every time I see her I just sort of cringe (gasps) like oh I didn't like that I didn't like the way you portrayed yourself in that book yeah will you tell me later who it is I will Oh, yes. I mean, I can say it now. I don't mind. We try not to talk too badly about people about books, but I don't. Yeah. Think, I mean, so it was Anna Kendrick's book. Oh, uh, okay. She, uh, I don't know. She yeah, just, that was a very slight one. I remember. Yes. I haven't read it, but I remember when it came out being like, what was the point of publishing something that that slight? And she just, I don't know. She came across in a way that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, so as I was saying about Jessica Simpson, like somebody in their thirties, what do they really have to share? So that's, that was, I didn't end up feeling that way about Jessica Simpson's book with Anna Kendrick. I felt like that. I thought maybe you should have waited a little longer yeah. before you came out. I don't know. It just, yeah, it just, I don't know. Not that Interesting. I, not that it uncovered some horrible racist behavior or something that right, I thought, oh, right, I could never right. look at this person. It was more just, right. oh, she thinks she's, she thinks she's pretty adorable and funny yeah. and in ways that I was like, you're kind of a, a not. Yeah. Uh, so that was it. That was all. It was just more well, of that. Well, now I want to read that one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's your next one? Um, next is Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary Norris. And she, Mary Norris is, was, uh, I think she's moved on. So I think she's just writing now. Um, but she was a copy editor at uh, The New Yorker for 30 years. And The New York New Yorker magazine is famous for its exacting standards and its illustrious history. So this book is kind of a style manual because she gets kind of nitty gritty about grammar in ways that my, my this is why I couldn't do this book as a memo or as a audiobook because I would have to see this stuff written out for my brain to process it. And even then I was I was like, this is over my head. I don't understand grammar this well. Um, so she she talks about that pretty in depth, but and she just does a little bit about how she went from her childhood in Cleveland to become um, um, a member of the staff of one of the most respected institutions in journalism. Um, but mostly it's just her musings about grammar and words and her adventures with them. And so she she does all kinds of kind of fun things with with uh her obsession with words um and of course she she does some behind the scenes discussions of what it it takes to make it onto the page of the new yorker and um she talks about some of the deep discussions and the quibbles among copy department staff about things like hyphens and where they should go in a word if uh, the word happens to be in a line break and as a librarian I love stuff like that not so much for the I'm, I'm for someone who reads as much as I do I'm not really a grammar person but I love I love discussions by nerds of of parsing out the the like minute details of of the things that only matter within their profession and so so I really enjoyed that those kinds of insights um, that she had um, and she she also 
indulges in her personal preferences within language um in in the way she chooses to write and the way she chooses to express or the way she thinks writing should be um but she's also very into the accoutrements that go into being a language person so she has very specific pencils that she uses for various tasks within um her work and she goes into a lot of detail about what those pencils are and she um at one point goes to a pencil fan society in New York where there's a sharpening lounge and she's just very aware of the humor in the things that she does and and sort of has a a bit of a tongue in cheek attitude toward everything but she's also totally earnest about it which actually reminds me quite a bit of myself of of the way I I view the world so I I felt really close to her as I was reading. So um, she has a very dry writing style and she's very witty, but it's it's also warm at the same time. So you feel that sparkle in her eye as, as, she's, as she's explaining the ins and outs of, of grammar. Um, and she just feels like a very amiable, amiable person. So I really enjoyed that about her. Um, I actually saw her while she was promoting her latest book that's called Greek to Me. That's about her love of all things Greek and her study of the Greek language. And I don't, I hadn't read this and I don't normally go to events for authors I haven't read um, typically, but it was being held beneath the giant Athena statue at the Parthenon here in Nashville and Ann Patchett was moderating and I thought that sounds weird and decided to go and she came out in this golden Grecian wreath crown thing that she had custom made for her and I was just so charmed by it. She just, she's a very, um, seems like a very regular person Uh in every way in her life but she just wears a crown to her book talk and i i just found her very very delightful and um i like that she i i'm pretty sure she's she's uh single and and doesn't have children and she just really has an interesting life and you i think it's pretty common to to view people as you know especially women are often viewed as as in their marital status or their their uh whether they have children and and to see her just living this very full life and living a very interesting life I found very um I guess personally uh satisfying so so I I very I'm a a Mary Norris uh fangirl apparently so um that is between you and me confessions of a comma queen by Mary Norris yeah, so I've read that, and it's such, I really liked that book. And it's funny that you say for somebody who likes to read, you're not actually super into grammar, because I'm not either. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of uncommon. I feel like people tend to really, when they read as much as you and I do, they tend to actually like lots of different kind of word nerd kinds of yeah. things like grammar. But I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I like the idea of it. I like it for yeah. other people, but... Right. Um, my dad is a huge grammar person, even to the he won't listen to this. So I'll say he, even to the point of being uh, um, someone who corrects me right. frequently in my casual speaking, which I get annoyed at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just loves word origins. Mm-hmm. He loves um, it, it's just a huge, a huge interest of mm-hmm. of his. And I think as my father's daughter, how did I not inherit this a little bit more? And it, and people usually get uh, grouped into either being math and science people or into being language people and i i'm like i guess language for me (laughs) yeah i'm the same people always assume i want to write a book too and i have no interest in writing a book i just like i didn't either until last year when i told you my idea which i shan't express (laughs) for fear that it gets stolen yes because you do have to write that yeah i will i i have notes (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, so my next one is Becoming by Michelle Obama, uh, which I'm guessing a lot of people have read or listened to this because I'm pretty sure the year it came out, it was the best-selling book of the year. But uh, For like weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks. <laughs> but you never know. There could for be sure, people for sure. who haven't read it. Uh, so if you haven't, if you just need a little push, I know sometimes people, I've like this, that's why I haven't read Where the Crawdads Sing yet. Sometimes when a book gets so much buzz, I wait until the buzz dies down because right. I think my expectations might have been built up too high. Uh, so if that's you and you ever thought about picking up this book, but you waited and then now it's sort of off your radar, I would encourage you to pick it up, especially the audiobook, as I'm going to say for all of these. It's, as you would guess, a lot of this is about the behind the scenes of what Michelle Obama's life has been like. And I admired her quite a bit when uh, Barack Obama was in the White House. I just thought she seemed very smart. And I don't, there was just something about her. I've seen her speak um, at a conference that I've gone to. And I just oh, liked. Man. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I know. I just really liked what she had to say. She had some interesting thoughts, not, not necessarily unique, but it's sometimes you don't often hear it from somebody in such a public facing view about the fact that women really can't have it all. It's it's impossible to to have a full-time job that if you have ambitions of having a really good career and also be a mother and to do that successfully without help. She's a big believer in women helping other women. Mm-hmm. And in her case, it was her mother helped her uh, because she was a very successful attorney before uh, Barack Obama ran for president uh, and became president. And it was a big discussion that they had to have about what that meant for her and for their daughters if he ended up becoming president because that changed her whole life and what her career path had been up until then. So she was raised in a working class family in Chicago and had aspirations of becoming really successful and uh, was very, like I said, very smart. And she ended up going to uh, Princeton and Harvard and becoming this uh, an attorney. Um, and she just talks a lot about the different little anecdotes about her life and her marriage and uh, what it was like to be the first lady. She doesn't, uh, it, we talked about Jessica Simpson being super candid. I would say she's not super candid about some of the things that I'm sure she could be dishing about, but it's mm-hmm. it's just a respectful portrayal, I think, of what that was like and how it was, how it impacted her family, I would say, more than anything. She's not throwing anybody under the bus, but she talks about what that was like. She does talk a little bit about uh, her disappointment that Donald Trump became president following them because uh, she felt like that was in opposition to a lot of what they had done, which I won't, you know, you can make of that whatever your political leanings make of that. But um, anyway, so she talks a little bit about that, as you would expect um, that she would have an opinion about that. But it's not, I don't think it's enough that, if you aren't perfectly aligned with what she is politically, that that would take away from the book, I don't think. Um, I just think that she has, um, I don't know, she's just worth listening to her her experiences as she talks about the difficult times in her life and the times that uh, she got to do some really cool things, which are fun to read about when she was first lady. And I don't know. I liked the little the little peeks into her relationship with Barack Obama and seeing some of his more interior uh, personal life things. There's a funny story she tells. So they were dating for 
a while before they ended up getting engaged. And he was very anti-marriage and was very open about the fact that he didn't think people needed to get married to be in a long-term commitment. And she, she didn't feel the same way. She felt like marriage was important to her. And that was something that she believed was uh, a different kind of commitment than, than dating for a long time. So he, uh, the the night he proposed she tells a cute story about how they've gone out to dinner and he sort of antagonizes her a little bit or kind of instigates a fight because he brings up the fact that um he doesn't think that they ever need to get married and so and she's an attorney and she likes to debate and she admits that and so and she can be kind of hot-headed she says so they just jump in and start debating about it and as it turns out he had a whole proposal planned which was just i don't know it was just a cute story. It was like his last time to kind of get under her skin about that yeah. that topic. So it was, I don't know, things like that. It was like a nice balance of the more serious things or the more what I found to be more inspirational with some of those funny anecdotes or the little inside things about living in the White House that you might find interesting. But it's not solely, it's really about becoming the woman she is today. So it's a lot about her younger life as well. It's not only about her time in the White House, but of course, White House stuff is included. So. Um, yeah. yeah, so I would just say if you've if you've admired her as a successful woman in the world as a f- public figure, I think that you would really like this book if you haven't read it yet. Um, it doesn't go. I don't think it goes doesn't go too heavily into politics for somebody who's maybe at, especially after a presidential election, you maybe don't want to read about politics right, um, right now. But I don't I don't think that I think this would be informative without feeling like. Ugh, I don't want to hear about that kind of thing. So, right. um, so yeah, I loved it. It's called Becoming by Michelle Obama. It's been so every week I look at the New York Times bestsellers just to to see what's um, you know it's important for our jobs to know right. what what's popular, and and her book was just all, was at the top for so mm-hmm. long, and then would would fall a little bit and then rise back up and and just had this never leaving the the bestseller list and mm-hmm. then. I've been watching uh, Barack Obama's book too, which obviously mm-hmm. was crazy successful, um, but his did not stay at the top for nearly as long and, and um, has is still on the list, but has, is dropping down. And I think he'd be fine with that. I yes. think he'd, yeah. he's like, that would be, he'd be thrilled with how successful his or her book is compared right. to his. And, and that's, it's just kind of fun that they both have have books on the New York Times bestseller yeah. list at the yeah. same time. So. Well, yeah. So we, my book club read this actually when, um, I think that's when I listened to it. And like I said, I just think there's a lot in there about wi- being a woman <laughs> and having a career and stuff. So I think that's part of the appeal to it is uh, could have been one of those things that was word of mouth from just what I just said, which is I don't know that you have to care about her politics to find the book interesting and worth reading. Um, whereas I have not read Barack Obama's book, but my guess is it's much more about his um, yeah policies and his presidential um, yeah things so that that's my guess again I have not read it so I, I can't speak to his book but uh, I could see where I, everybody in my book club really the, those of us who read it we don't necessarily all read the books in time for the meeting uh, <laughs> but everybody who read it really really liked it and I could see it's one of those things where you kind of pass it on to a friend or a sister or your mom and say this is worth yeah. reading so I feel like it maybe has that sort of word of mouth uh, which is funny, a book like that doesn't seem like it would need word of mouth um, right. buzz, but my guess is that that has something to do with it. That's awesome. 
Um, okay, so last is for me is Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered, the definitive how-to guide by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. And um, we've talked about them before, but but these two women are the hosts of the podcast, My Favorite Murder, which has a massive, massive following and a rabid fan base. And um, they call their fans murderinos. And um, you and I are both fans. I think you've you've moved away from it a little bit yeah. um, in the past, past few years. And, yeah. and I was listening to it really um um pretty much every day at work because my coworkers are upset i have one coworker in particular who is super obsessed with it and um and so i listened to it uh because we were going to go see them at the uh grand Ole opry when they mm-hmm. came to nashville and as a as like a coworker group and we were so excited so i was listening to um to get like I have to start podcasts at the beginning. So I, mm-hmm. I was listening to it very quickly. And then once we hit the pandemic, I can't listen to it at home because I'm very, very terrified yeah. of men living in my attic. And so um, there's a fair amount of that in this podcast. So, so I love it, but it's, it's something that I have to kind of go in and out of and I can't mm-hmm. listen to it while I'm driving. I, I really have to be around other people or else mm-hmm. it, it affects me too much. So, mm-hmm. um, um, but it's a very fun community to be in and, and lots of, um, there's lots of like side groups that have come from it and, and they're, it's very active. So, um, so the, so, uh, Karen and Georgia met through mutual friends and they vaguely knew each other, but they became close when, uh, they were at a Halloween party and Karen was describing to a group of people an accident that she had witnessed and everyone else kind of slowly backed away uncomfortably <laughs> except for Georgia who moved in and and wanted to know more details and they realized that they had found kindred spirits in each other who were also obsessed with true crime and um find uh have a curiosity about terrible things that happen but also um you know they're not relishing in it they just are are very interested and mm-hmm. and it is it exists to sort of deal with their own fears about these things so they started this podcast pretty much instantly um they it sounds like they just met up once to get lunch and said let's do this podcast and so they really didn't know each other very well mm-hmm. when they started it um and so they they just started started talking about crimes that fascinated them and what it um how much anxiety those crimes give them and they decided that this comedy podcast would would be a form of therapy for them. So the book gets into the the history of the podcast a bit, but really they're very open about the, that history on the podcast itself. So it's um um not new information mm-hmm. or anything, but it's also their individual stories of how they got to that point of meeting each other and and everything that sort of fit together to make this happen. So Karen has a, a background as a very successful comedy writer. Um, who has done scripted TV and talk shows and um, some has sometimes has worked as an, as an actress. She's actually in one of my, my favorite, very favorite shows ever, which I didn't really put it together until much later on that that was who that was. Um, and she has this very wide, uh, it's called Mr. Show with Bob and David. It's yeah. yeah. Um, She has one of my favorite lines ever. It's just this one throwaway line in, in one skit. And when I realized that's who it was, I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> she was so excited about that. Um, but she's very open about her struggles with alcoholism and how she had to give it up. She, she considered herself an alcoholic and gave it up completely for um, health reasons. And um, she also, uh, right as the podcast was starting, um, her mother had just died from Alzheimer's and she 
has worked through a lot to to come to terms with both of those things. So um, Georgia had considered herself uh, basically a failure and um, she had moved from job to job in L.A. until she wrote a blog post with a friend that went viral. And that led to them hosting um, a series of of um, shows, I guess, uh, on the cooking channel. And leading up into that, she really struggled with her mental health and and was a drug addict as a teenager and had eating disorders throughout her entire life. And so she's now doing very well and is, is happily married and, um, has a very full life. And, and she advocates for the, the role of therapy that, that helped her to get to that point. So somehow all of these elements work perfectly into talking about true crime, which, um, doesn't seem like it could work, but they, they draw from their own mistakes and, um, the difficult situations that they've been in and, and, use that to to look at these crimes and also to um use comedy to face their fears about them so um despite the title it isn't really about keeping yourself safe very much um although they do get into issues of women's safety on on kind of a more philosophical level but it's it's more about the self-help angle um as they discuss how they overcame their struggles to get to the point where they are running this this successful business together so um i would say the podcast is not actually about true crime even though you are very satisfied with that if that's what you're interested in but to me it's more about their friendship and Mm -hmm. their growth as women individually and and their growth uh their further growth through each other and that book or that that is also the focus of this book so um so i listened to this one and it was very fun as an audiobook so i i definitely recommend that and it that is stay sexy and don't get murdered by karen kilgariff and georgia hardstark yeah i listened to that one too and enjoyed it uh, yeah a lot. i saw them live and i was i knew that they had fans but oh my gosh oh my gosh love them love yeah them. yeah all right, my yeah. last one is Here Here for It by R. Eric Thomas. Or I'm sorry, actually, there's a subtitle. Here for It or How to Save Your Soul in America by R. Eric Thomas. Uh, so <laughs> R. Eric Thomas is not somebody uh, who I knew. I was, I was not familiar with him before I read this book. Uh, but I kept hearing about how good this book was. So I decided to listen to the audiobook uh, it, because it sounded like this is the one when I talked about one of my books being a blend of a memoir and an essay collection. That's what this is. So okay. it felt like even though I wasn't familiar with him, he was going to touch on things that sounded interesting and funny to me. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And I was really glad that I did. Um, it, this is to me one of my favorite kinds of of memoirs or this hybrid of essays because it touches on a lot of pop culture things. So there are the lighter elements. There's a lot of humor to this book, but then there's also a lot about our Eric Thomas and sort of the more insightful pieces, the more memoirish pieces. So it's just a nice blend, especially for a book about somebody I, I didn't know. So I didn't feel like I was, out of my depth as far as who this was and why I was listening uh, because yeah. it had that stuff about the pop culture that I was familiar with. Uh, so if you like me, don't know who he is. He is a playwright and a journalist. And apparently he, he became very well known when he wrote a Facebook post that went viral and um, it was about Barack Obama. Uh, fun, you know, coincidentally enough, since that was uh, <laughs> Michelle Obama's book I just talked about, but about him, 
uh, finding him attractive. And so it went viral and it caught the attention of the people at Elle magazine and they hired him to be a writer for, I believe, Elle.com. I'm not sure if he writes for the magazine as well. Um, and so it, it, like I said, it's, there's a lot of humor. He's a very, very funny guy. Um, and there's a lot about pop culture and TV shows, things like that. So things that, um, are fun to, to hear about and hear somebody's commentary about, but it's also about, uh, how he grew up as a black gay man in a Baptist household and what that meant for him. Um, his, his church basically denied that being gay was a thing and he didn't know what that meant for him as he was growing up and, uh, coming to terms with his sexuality. And so, uh, and I think he, I think he grew up in the South as well. And so there's just a lot, like you said about uh, Michael Twitty. Is that his name yes. from your first yeah. book? So similar, it sounds like similar kinds of upbringings. Uh, right. And and then what they uh, have to deal with as as coming to accept themselves and who they are and have their family accept them and all of those things. So there's a lot there. There's a nice combination of that funny, lighthearted stuff, but also the the more really touching things that he um, shares about himself and uh, again self acceptance and stuff like that. So um, it, to me, this is one that would definitely lose something if you were reading it instead of listening to it because his delivery both helps really land some of his jokes. I think the the way he times his, some of his jokes just impeccable uh, as far yeah. as being able to to deliver them and then also the parts that are more touching uh like i said about jessica simpson getting emotional there's something about telling your own story especially the parts that are a little bit tougher to share that that really come across as far as him telling it so i would if you're an audiobook listener i would definitely recommend doing this on audiobooks so that's here for it or how to save your soul in america by r eric thomas that's always such a difficult question because i i like hearing people read the book and and like with a book like Bossy Pants, there were yeah. so many things that Tina Fey did with the audio with that, that I looked at the print copy later and I saw what she was, how she was trying to express that in print, right. but there's something that you lose, but then you don't get pictures. Right. And so yes. very often they refer to something yes. and then you don't ha know what they're talking That's about. That's true. That's very true. And sometimes there's a PDF with the audiobook, but I never look at that. So yes, you do right. potentially lose some, uh, imagery that you would have in the print book so ideally yeah. you would be able to look at the print book also but yeah uh, i think when i listened to um uh the lauren graham memoir mm -hmm. i i listened to it i started reading it in print and then thought i want this in audio mm -hmm. but then kept the print so i could i could refer to her pictures because because <laughs> especially in that one there at the end of it it's a it's kind of a diary of them uh, filming the, yeah. the Gilmore Girls revi revival and so she has all these pictures of that she's like it's it's kind of like a like blog post essentially right. where she has images to go with it and you just you need that so right. yeah smart on the part of publishers to make it where you need both, you need both. <laughs> yep <laughs> all right well we uh we'll be right back with what we're reading this week Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, I actually just finished this. We were supposed to record yesterday, um, or we had 
originally yeah. intended on that and so i was listening to this but now i'm finished with last night at the telegraph club by melinda Lowe, and i'm listening to it for my mock prince book club which is back after taking a year oh, off yay. and i love it so much yeah it's so great again it's both fun for the books and the friends and so i'm i'm very pleased with this um like last year we just it was too much and right. so i'm glad that we're we're back to it so this book is a ya book and it's set in 1950 san francisco um post mccarthyism so i can't remember what year they it takes place but mid uh mccarthyism was like early 50s to mm-hmm. mid 50s so this is this must be late 50s so that's technically over but the world is still very very focused on communism so lily who is a high school senior and she lives in the chinatown section of san francisco with her family and her parents are medical professionals i think her dad's a doctor and her mom is a nurse if i'm remembering correctly and they're very prominent in the community and um despite that lily feels very isolated because she has a best friend shirley who is interested in things like local beauty pageants and boys And Lily is interested in things like math and science and the space program. And she actually has an aunt who lives or who uh, works at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory who feeds that interest. And so um, she's getting some um, kind of sustenance in that that interest of of hers, but not really immediately with the people that she lives with and sees every day. So um, one morning she's looking at the newspaper and she sees an ad for a male impersonator named Tommy Andrews, who is performing at um, a place called the Telegraph Club. And she realizes that it's a lesbian bar that's nearby in a kind of neighboring um, area of San Francisco. And she becomes just completely fixated on it and um, has very uh, confused feelings that she doesn't know what they mean um when she looks at this picture and so she saves the she tears out the picture and saves it and um so at school um soon after this she's put into a group project with a girl named kath miller and that she's someone that that everyone at the school has known for years just vaguely but um they've never really been friends but when they're put into this group she's the only white girl in the group and shirley treats her very dismissively but lily and kath has this shared interest in science and they start to become friends so um somehow i i don't remember how this works but in the they end up together in the girl's bathroom and lily drops her book bag and the tommy andrews ad falls out and kath picks it up and says she's actually been there to the telegraph club to see this and so um lily realizes that that kath has more in common with her than she knew and they sort of start to tiptoe around this idea that um women can be in love with each other and and that this is something very forbidden but they're both curious about it and so kath suggests that they go see tommy andrews together and um that going to this club just really opens lily's eyes to a world that she didn't know existed and so at the same time lily's parents have been worried because her dad has been questioned about his patients who might have communist ties and he wouldn't give up those names so his immigration papers have been taken away even though he's a citizen mm-hmm. so lily's activities at the tel- at the telegraph club um could really compromise this family and put them in a really precarious position so there's a lot of elements that are coming together into the story that um sometimes in in um especially i think ya books that can be kind of piling on of of issues um even though obviously 
there's lots of intersectionality of, of issues that people have to deal with. But but sometimes I think with YA, it can feel a little too pedantic. And this, I think, is really successfully incorporated together and um, done in a really compelling way that that makes you see um, just the the really difficult position that she's, she's been putting. And um, one element that was um, really particularly interesting to me is that this the racism that she deals with is so pervasive and so casual and it's it's just like i know this is why we read and why we see different perspectives but um there's lots of scenes where lily is in situations where she's suddenly singled out as the only asian person in this situation Mm -hmm. and she's asked if she can speak english and people talk to her friend uh, or other people that she's with and, and talk about her not realizing that she can understand them. And she's called China doll all the time oh, by gosh. people and just really terrible things. And, and, and that's not even the biggest focus of the book. It's just some, something that's so ingrained into, um, into minority experiences that, that this is just n- something that that's there, but, but not even what she's grappling with on the, on the biggest scale. So, um, so I thought that was really nicely done by the author. So, um, so I'm, I really liked it. I, I, this might be a contender for me for the prince, uh, maybe not the winner, but an, mm-hmm. an honor book probably at the end. Mm-hmm. So that is last, although this is the first book we're reading. So it's, <laughs> it's early days to say that, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and that's last night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. That's interesting because we read a book for a reading list last year, a mystery, and I liked it a lot, but my one of my comments was that the main character was Asian, but I I don't remember what her name was, but it was something very Irish sounding because her, I think her mom or dad was Irish. But anyway, uh, and literally every single person she met in the book would comment about the fact that she didn't look like what her name sounded like. And oh my so gosh. I, I commented that that to me kept taking me out of the story because not that I doubted that it happened. I mean, absolutely, I, I know that ha- would happen. But the the fact that like every single person that she met did it felt uh, just like a lot. Like I just felt like that wasn't realistic. That every I don't I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I have a generous view of humanity or something. But I yeah. thought really every single person. I, I don't think so. I wouldn't say that to somebody. I can't imagine every single person. But anyway, um, one of my friends on the committee he is an Asian American. And he said, Oh, yeah, he said, Oh, absolutely. Because his name really is not Asian at all. And so he said he would get that he said, I didn't, I found that absolutely true to life. I thought, okay. wow, I said, then you're the you're the person I you know, I trust your experience. And obviously, I don't have that experience. So I wouldn't know that that's the way yeah. that that's real true to life. So yes, the things that as a white person, I don't have to um, haven't had to experience just yeah anyway okay oh, the world we live in <laughs> I know um okay so my uh book same same situation I'm sorry it was my fault that we had to record today instead oh, of yesterday but uh I was okay. I was reading it and finished it but and uh it's Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson and it's historical fiction set in the 1930s near Reno Nevada on a ranch and at the time, I did not know this, at the time you could spend six weeks in Reno and establish residency there and then go into town and petition to get a divorce with a judge who was there and uh, they, he would grant you a divorce. So it was kind of a quick and easy way to get a divorce uh, and not have to spend um, months or years going through this process. So this 
uh, the two of the characters in the book, Margaret and Max, they open a ranch for this purpose to serve the women who would come to the area to live there for six weeks. And so the whole story revolves around the women living there. Living there. It mainly revolves around three people, uh, but there are side characters that you get to know as well. But the three main characters are uh, Ward, a young man who has hopes of becoming a doctor, and he was raised in a family with money, but his family has lost everything uh, in the Great Depression. So he's taken this job as kind of an in-between way to make money. He's just trying to figure out what his next steps are, but he has he has high hopes of um, still being able to go to medical school. And then Nina, who has been married three times, and so she's been at the ranch before, and she is back <laughs> for her third divorce. And she is a pilot. She's a bit of a daredevil. She's very outgoing. She's very outspoken uh, and, and kind of seems beloved by the owners of the ranch. And then Emily, whose husband has been cheating on her. She has a teenage or a tween daughter and has come to get out of her marriage, but is a little bit more tentative about the situation. She's not sure uh, that that's exactly what she wants. And Nina and Emily become fast friends. Nina basically takes Emily under her wing and helps try to get her out of her shell a little bit. And they enlist Ward to be their chauffeur and to help them in in their adventures that they're having. And uh, there's a rule at the ranch that the ranch hands can't get involved with the women. It's a very clear clear guideline but despite that ward can't resist that he feels a bit of a spark with emily and they end up having a bit of a dalliance um and so you just basically watch the people for six weeks while they're there and learn about their lives and learn about uh what their hopes are for the future and uh their interactions with each other and so i really really ended up loving this one i wasn't sure when i first started um it's very, uh, so it's character driven, which I love character driven books, but there wasn't a whole lot of historical detail to it. Um, and so I wasn't sure that it was going to kind of satisfy that itch I have for historical fiction, but it right. did ultimately because um, it, it gives just enough information to feel like it, it didn't feel contemporary. You know, it definitely felt like it took place at a different time. Um, which is really all I ask for with historical fiction. Um, and there's just a lot of humor to it. There's it, it, Some of the observations and some of the character interactions really made me laugh. And um, just some, some good observations about finding a life that, you, that fulfills you and finding love that is a fulfilling kind of relationship. Um, it actually brought a little bit of a tear to my eye at the end. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah. It's just it was. I ended up feeling more invested in the characters. Not that I guess not that I expected. It was just sort of took me by surprise at the end. I thought, oh gosh, I really, I I ended up caring about these characters. Um, so yeah, I just think it's a great blend of the the little bit of the history in there with some some fun some funny stuff with the lighter stuff and then also a little bit more of the relationshipy stuff and you get to know these three people pretty well. So I liked it a lot. It's Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. Oh, and the reason that title comes from, she says it in the afterward, the judge who would grant these divorces when he would hit his gavel, that's what he would say. It was Better Luck Next Time. Oh, Which man, I thought I was a, so many things about this. I know. And, oh, and the author's dad worked on a ranch like this. And she oh, said, 
by the time she became interested enough in it, he, he would just sort of offhandedly refer to it that he had been a ranch hand on this kind of ranch. But And she said by the time she was old enough to realize that that was kind of a cool thing to ask him about, he had already passed. So she wasn't oh. able to ask. So she did a bunch of research. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's good. I really, li- I really liked yeah. it. It was great. I love to, I, so as a Westerner, this is very fascinating to me because the idea that you have, if you go to Nevada, you have to go live on a ranch and you can't just like go live in Reno well, in an apartment or something. You something could, like that. you could, right, but, I think. But people went to ranches. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like, it was, it was catering to those people. Right, right. They, it would be like going to a resort for six weeks. Right, you know? the, right. Somebody cooked all the food and they had little expeditions. You could go into town and go shopping. Right. And so it was just a, a place for people to go that made it their life easy. And at the time, women didn't have necessarily a lot of independence as far as... Right being able to go off and rent a place or right for sure yeah so yeah I think I'm just always I'm so I wouldn't say fascinated that implies that I think about this more often than I do but but as someone who's from the west the romanticism of oh yeah the west is very very interesting to me from of people from the east and so And so the idea of like you go to the west and you and you get on your western wear and stuff like it's it's just it tickles me, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I can um, see that. I can see that. So also, have so now that you've read this, you have to go watch the movie The Women. Oh, okay. Which is, have you heard of this movie? It's from the 1930s. No, I don't think so. Okay, so we were having some audio difficulties, so I'm just going to go ahead and wrap things up. Luckily, we were almost to the end anyway. Uh, so... Uh, For the books that we talked about this week, Anne talked about The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary Norris, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered, The Definitive How-To Guide by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark, and what she was reading this week was Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. I talked about Open Book by Jessica Simpson, Becoming by Michelle Obama, Here for It by R. Eric Thomas, and what I was reading this week is Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. So if you would like to get in touch with us, you can give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss. You can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. We actually just received a suggestion from one of our lovely listeners named Anne. Uh, And so uh, we're so excited. We're going to record that probably in the next few weeks. Uh, So please don't hesitate to reach out if you have an idea for us. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice, it really helps other people find the show, which we appreciate. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book, excuse me, every book we talked about in this and every episode. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. Sorry for those technical glitches right there at the end. And we'll talk to you all in a few weeks. 